I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, joining me today is founder of Angel Faces, Licia Cartelli. Uh, Angel Faces uh, retreats facilitate emotional healing for women's disfigured by trauma. Since 2003, the nonprofit Angel Faces has helped transform the lives of adolescents and young women who have suffered severe permanent scars and disfigurements from burn injuries and traumatic events through intensive residential retreats and ongoing support. Founder Licia Cartelli was severely burned by a natural gas explosion when she was just nine years old. And as an adult, she recognized the psychosocial needs of adolescent girls and young women with disfigurements. Program elements include yoga, climbing, and journaling, plus one-on-one instruction from professionals in the cosmetic industry to teach the women how to minimize scarring while enhancing their individual beauty. Uh, She's also the author of Heart of Fire, in which she shares the details of her own traumatic experience and the path that led her to her founding of Angel Faces. Welcome to the show, Licia. It's nice to have you on. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me on. You know, I think you've been on the show before. You were on a few years ago. So it's really interesting to me. We can follow what's been happening. You've been doing this since 2003, uh, which is a long time. And so I want to ask you uh, some of the changes, if you've seen any changes in terms of how we view young women with disfigurement and what people sometimes refer to as disabilities. Yes, so the changes I've seen over time and what I try to instill in in women and adolescent girls who've had these type of um, lasting injuries physically, of course, and and emotionally, is the acceptance is happening more on a social level, but also the movement of self-empowerment. Because when we feel good about ourselves and when we accept our flaws and we accept our unique beauties, I I really hate calling them flaws, but when we accept our unique beauty, so will the others around us. Um, And I think that's a powerful movement is really, it really comes back to us and how we want people to look at us and how we want people to treat us is how we treat ourselves. One of the things you, know, that you talk I, about is, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, one of the, you know, I tell the women and the girls, look, they're going to stare at you anyways when you walk into a door or into a room. So why not hold your head up? Why not smile? Why not engage with that room? What are some of the, you, you talk about um, embracing that. Uh, we have to, Go ahead, I'm sorry. the girls have to, the girls and the women, they have to embrace their own fears, their own fears about walking into the room or being in a new place or meeting someone new who isn't familiar with them. So I, I hear what you're saying is if you embrace your own fears, then that, well, tra- that will translate to other people and they will begin to accept you in a different way. Is that what you're saying? 
Absolutely. They, they will accept you at the level that you accept you. And, and I learned this. I learned this in fifth grade. I had an epiphany, Catherine, um, that I learned through a series of an event with, with another girl that when I acted like a victim, I got treated like a victim. When I acted strong and centered and confident and comfortable with who I am, then other people treat me like that. It's, it's quite simple, really. You know, I think that's a good example. When I grew up, people or young children, or my, uh, well, I guess also in elementary school, one of the girls had polio and one leg was shorter than the other and she wore a brace. And of course, as you know, it, it, is in, it was the same kind of thing. Uh, kids could make fun of her or not. She never acted like a victim, quite the opposite. She was a leader in our class and people treated her like a leader and really disregarded her short leg and her brace and that didn't become the issue. So I think that's exactly what you're talking about and that's really important, yeah. Absolutely, you know, it's like, it's like the term, I often hear burn survivor and I just, I just crush that term. Because somebody was like, oh, I, I'm a burn survivor. And, and I say, well, is that all you are? You're not a daughter. You're not a sister. You're not all these other things. Are you good at math or art? Yes, you have an experience with a traumatic event that has left you with scars. But that's not who you are. That's an experience that you can draw from. And draw on your resilience and, and your courage and have it teach you lessons of life that you can share. But it's not who you are, the core of who you are. And I can tell you, Catherine, when I say this to a 15-year-old girl who has been through a traumatic experience, and she's standing before me and I say this to her, you could see the light coming out of her. You could see the aha moment in her because people don't say that, you know, it's, oh, she's a burn survivor or she's a cancer survivor. No, she's a, she's a woman with all these incredible qualities. Has she survived cancer? You bet. You know, has she survived a burn injury or traumatic event? You bet. You know, and that mind shift is super powerful, Lisa, Lisa, how do the parents fit into this? Because you may have a younger, you say, you're talking about a 15-year-old, a teenager. You can also have even, obviously, there are younger uh, women who you work Mm -hmm. with. Um, Because parents have, obviously, an effect on their children and how they treat them and how they see their kids as either a victim or not. So how, Mm -hmm. talk about that in terms of what you do in terms of uh, dealing with, yeah. Well, that, that gets pretty complicated because suddenly the dynamic between the mother and daughter start to really get magnified. I've seen everything from the parents who, who completely clip the wings of their daughters for their own, their own benefit, their own fear, their own service. Oh, this happened to her. I'm never going to let that. Anything bad happen to her again. So then they, they end up 
really clipping those wings. Oh, no, you can't go there. Don't do that. You might fall. Don't, you know? And it's it's such a, um, it's sad to see because when it, when the girls come to the retreat, that's when it comes out. That's when they're, um, you know, I'll, I'll ask the group, I'll say, who in your life you feel holds you back? And a lot of them raise their hand and say, it's my mother. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's such a self, it's very sad to me to see. It's very sad. And I, I try and speak with the mothers very gently, but, you know, the, that's, that's a very tender turf that you don't want to operate. And I've seen parents, I've seen um, parents not let their daughter come back to the retreat because they came home so empowered. And that was a threat to the parent. Because suddenly the roles have changed. Suddenly she's starting to find her voice and find her way. And that's a threat to the parent. No longer that role has changed. So now the parent's role has to change and they don't know what to do with it. So is there any way that you can intervene or is that usually the end of it? Let's say the, the, the as you say, the young girls have become feeling empowered and then the mother sure. feels less has she has less power. Uh, any way to kind of change that? Or that just, and, yeah. Yeah. Bridget. So, yeah. um, what I've done in the past is, is educate the parents on this is what we're going to be teaching. This is what she's going to be learning. This is what you may see when she comes home. You know, don't be threatened by it. Support her and love her and, um, uh, and encourage them to get into some professional counseling if that's the case. But I think um, really educating the mother on what she may see with her coming home and some mothers, you know, don't don't like that. They don't, and, and they don't want her to come back. I had one girl out of Texas. The mother stood on the gangway and said, you don't have to go. You could stay home. You know, it's really sad to me. And then there are the mothers who, you know, I get letters from, oh, my God, thank you for giving me my daughter back. You know, for the first time I've seen her smile and for the first time... She's wearing shorts. She never wore shorts before. Her legs are burned, you know? And those those are beautiful to get. And I certainly get a lot more of those than I get, you know, the other end. But a parent can be pretty threatened when you empower a child that has relied so closely on them, particularly when there's a trauma. Yeah. I think that's an issue, not just, you know, when somebody's been disfigured, but also any kind of a disability. The parent get used to that connection, that somewhat of a symbiotic relationship, actually, and they feel good and they feel empowered by helping the victim, their daughter. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously you're taking that away. Since you've been doing this in 2003. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> What about, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a long time. It's a lifetime. So it's what a, about, give a, us some specific, really if you time. can, specific success stories. Because now you can follow these girls, uh, many of them, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, um, yes, I follow a lot of these girls. In fact, I just sent a photograph this morning. I'm leaving for the retreat tomorrow. And I was going through some photos this morning and I sent 
a picture to some girls that came to me when they were, you know, 14, and now they're in their late 20s, and, and, and there are a group of them standing there, and I, and I said, you know, here's my heart daughters, but you, you have to give them roots, and you have to give them wings. You know, and many of them have gone on and have gotten married and have children. And and I stand back and go, you know, you can only give them what you can give them and you have to set them loose and let them fly. Um, a lot of them come back and volunteer and they'll mentor other women and other girls that are coming up underneath them, which is really cool to see. Um, we did a retreat right before COVID, and uh, we had two levels. We had the younger girls, and then we had the women in their 20s. And we did a piece during the retreat called Pearls of Wisdom, where the older girl, the, um, the older woman, um, wrote down a piece of advice she had for the, for the younger girl who was coming up through living with a disfigurement and a trauma and, and, um, and gave her a little pearl bracelet with those words. It was very powerful, Catherine. Yeah. You know, well, that's powerful, just, just like you know, you're powerful because this happened to you when you were nine years old and you sort you turned that as I've read about you, you turned the pain into a life of passion and purpose. And mm. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and trust me, when I try and get out of it and think, oh, I'm going to go just work for corporate or something, cell phones or something, you know, like God's big hand comes in and goes, no, 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 you get right back there. Yeah, get right back. When you do, you get right back there. It sounds like it. Talk to us about are you, this uh, this next retreat, which is going to be in New Hampshire. Yes, yeah. Um, it starts on Saturday, the women arrive. It's um, five days, six days. We've scaled back a bit from COVID, um, and, but the theme, every retreat has a theme, and um, this theme is let it go. So, uh, excuse me, let it, let it roll. I'm sorry, let it roll. And the art project that we do that surrounds the theme is let it scroll. And what we're doing, and this is really powerful when you think about it, it's we're asking the women to look at their lives five years down the road, and what would that woman five years down the road say to you today? Would she be proud of your decisions? Would she want to motivate you in other areas? Would she, what advice would she give to you right now? You know, we've done letters to self where you look, you look back on your younger self. Gosh, I wish I would have known this or this or, but this is taking it forward, letting it scroll forward. And what letter would she write to you right now where you are in your life? I think that's interesting because you're choosing five years, which is kind of immediate. It's not like, you know, you're 60 and you wished you had done something else at 15. You're talking about five years from now. So you have choices to make. It's all about those choices and how you're going to make those choices. Um, so that's, that, yeah, that's very interesting. Five years from now, what what would you say? Well, yeah. and, and five years from now, what would you say about your life right now? Mm-hmm. 
You know, like, is there something that you're stuck in right now that five years down the road, you can look back right now and go, oh, no, you need to take that job or you need to quit that job or you need to find a healthier relationship or, you know, it gives a perspective of your life today with the wisdom of the future. What about, uh, I just want to get back to the uh, the retreat, because how, how many women do you have? I mean, how long does the retreat last? And I know you talk about volunteers, because there might be people listening who want to be volunteers. How would one become a volunteer at one of your retreats? So you can go on our website and fill out an application, a volunteer application. All of our volunteers are licensed professionals. They're nurses. They're psychologists, they're doctors, social workers, um, and we welcome those applications. I have a tribe of committed women that come to the retreat with us. Um, this year, we have 15 to 20 women that we're serving, and this is a level two retreat, so it's women 19 to 29. Um, and you know, some of these women, the trauma that they've been through is when they were four years old, you know, and now it's really impacting their life. So part of the retreat, we really dig into, um, the grief and loss and how to handle that grief and loss and the impact trauma has had on your life. Um, whether it's with different relationships. So it's the awareness of what we've been through and how it may affect how you're living today. We do some role-playing on staring and teasing, and not so much teasing with this level, but staring in unwanted questions. You know, the little lady that follows you around asking you what happened to your face. And so we do, we teach a lot of hands-on responses to that uh, with love and grace, you know, not coming from a place of frustration or anger. Um, we do some yoga, um, we do a facial design, which is really great. It's teaching the women, um, corrective cosmetics, even though it's as simple as maybe drawing that eyebrow on that was burned off or getting symmetry in your lips or calming down the skin tones between laser treatments, um, so we do a lot of that. We have a lot of fun. We go paddleboarding, you know, but we also dig down deep. I I tell the women it's like taking your soul to the gym. Well, you take it from every different aspect, every angle, from, as you say, cosmetics, putting on the right kind of makeup. And I assume there must be cosmeticians who specialize in that kind of makeup? Yes, we have... Um, Women who are professional makeup artists who have a background in paramedical makeup. For years, we called it corrective cosmetics. And then one day, the girls reminded me that there was nothing to correct, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> so we changed the name of that component of the program to facial design. Another thing that you said that I just want to follow up on when you are, I don't want to use the word disfigured, but when you go into the I know, grocery store, yeah, I know, um, but, and you have little children pointing at you and, and saying things mm -hmm. or making comments. 
what is, give us an example, what kind of a response should that young woman have or say? Um, the response that I teach them is, um, particularly with little children, you know, they might go, oh, you know, they might be staring and staring and staring, and you're in line, you can't get out of line. The mother then is feeling very awkward, and her response dictates a lot of what the children will do. You know, some parents will grab their child and say, honey, don't stare, don't stare, you know. But what we teach the women is to look at the child and smile and say, hello, and say, oh, what's your name? To, to engage with the child. And then she might, and you might say, I notice you're staring at my arm. I was, I was burned, you know, but I'm okay now. Thank you for asking, you know, depending on the age of the child. And they might want to touch it or, so you really have to gauge depending. I'm trying to cram a three hour session into this right here, but you have to gauge. Right, how yeah. that child, how old the child is, and what the circumstances, and yeah, you know, and maybe yeah. there's days where you don't feel like engaging, you just want to pay for your groceries and go home, mm-hmm. and that's okay too. So, be aware of how you're feeling and what you want to do, and as you say, and decide yeah. how you want, yeah, how you want to engage. But I think the underlying, uh, the underlying message is you have to be proactive about it. You have to decide what you want to do and how you want to handle it, not how somebody else wants to handle you. Exactly. And you have to have some tools in your pocket to pull out and go, you know, have three different sort of messages so it doesn't catch you off guard. You know, you have to have a rehearsed response. I would imagine when you're younger, and and this may not be true, and you are open to everything that you're teaching these young women, that it may be easier when you, if what if you bring if if when you have an accident that disfigures you, that you go when you're young and not wait because you mentioned this group is almost what 19 to 29 years old, and some of what mm-hmm. happened to them was when they were four or five. That's a lot of years to try and, and uh, go over and struggle through and, and change your behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of years of the world kicking you around yeah. and you not knowing what to say. And the, that's a lot of years of, of sadness, you know. And um, some of the women, have, you know, were injured six months ago. And it, I've been asked... Is it better to have a big injury as a child or as an adult? Because they say, as a child, you know no different. This is the way your life always is. Um, And this is true. However, if you're injured as an adult, if you suffer a significant injury, you hope, we hope that you have a spiritual foundation, you've got resources, you have family, you know, um, so there's, you know, there's positives and not so positives with both sides. But the issues are different. You yeah. know, I say burned as a child or burned as an adult. Yeah. The issues because are very different. Just know as you what just... life was like when right. you were flawless or beautiful yeah. or, you know. 
as you see it. Well, you may, you know, as you're older, you may have established yourself as a, you know, a professional. You have all of these credentials. You have a lot of different things on your on your side, so to speak. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, yes. and that makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, I'm thinking we only have a couple of minutes left, but and in the beginning we talked about how things have changed and people are more accepting of people who are different. Hopefully that's been happening. Mm-hmm. I think with women with cancer, for instance, I know 30 years ago, 20 years ago, if all, when you, you have chemotherapy and lose all your hair, women would get wigs and try to cover it up. And now women walk around proudly bald. This is who I am. This yes. is what's happening to me. Yes. And, uh, and that's yes. it. Yeah. So it kind of, it, that sort of came to mind in the same way as you're describing these young women and older women, um, which is a good thing. Uh, so, yes, yes. Yeah. We have a couple minutes left. So again, repeat some of the, the website and or websites that we can go to for more information about you and, you know, and the work you're doing and the retreats that may be available to anyone who is listening. Yeah. So I, you know, I have to do my one minute push for donations and okay, support <laughs> um, because we don't, you know, we, we survive on, on donations. We're not government funded or we're not insurance funded it's all um, private money that we are so grateful for. They can donate online. They can donate through our website, angelfaces.com. Uh, we are a 501c3 national nonprofit. Um, you can find out all of our information there. My book is called Heart of Fire um, by Lisa Cartelli. And that's on Amazon, and I believe you, you might be able to find it in Barnes & Noble as well. It's an audiobook, uh, Kindle, as well as print. Um, so you can go look at that, Heart of Fire. Reviews have been fabulous. And, um, yeah, angelfaces.com. If you want to donate or partner up with us for cosmetics or, um, you know, yoga mats, we're always looking for for um, great partnerships. Our next retreat is in October in Knoxville, Tennessee. Great. Licia, thanks so much for being on the show. I mean, there's so much information, a lot of good information. Really appreciate it. Uh, Licia S. Cartelli, she's the author and founder of Angel Faces. Uh, Just keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much, Catherine. Have a beautiful day. Yeah, you too. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 